And so if you would, please bow your heads with me. Gracious Heavenly Father, God, what a morning it is. Lord, I'm thankful this morning. You didn't always say the steps towards you would be easy. But they're right. You didn't say the road wouldn't be long and hard. But you said I'll be with you. God, I'm thankful this morning to be able to gather. To feel your love and your presence. God, you've given us another day and I'm thankful. Lord, you've given us a great opportunity, Lord, to, to get into your presence, to change lives. Lord, to be changed. Lord, as we're all broken, just waiting on a molder to put us back together. God, I'm thankful that you're creator, that you're potter, that you're physician, that you're healer. God, that you're our all in all. Lord, I just pray that you be with me this morning to convey the words that you would have for me to say. And God, that the ears that need to hear it would listen this morning. God, we came here seeking you fully and wholeheartedly. What you might have for us, God trumps everything else in our life. Lord, I'm thankful. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Uh, I'm going to mainly be in John chapter 4 this morning if you want to start there. But I am going to read a, a section from Isaiah 55 real fast. In Isaiah 55, starting in verse 8, it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways, or neither are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts your thoughts. It's never rang truer to me than this week, I'll be honest with you. But I'll ask you this morning, what is your level of faith in God? Because he says we don't think on the same wavelength. I'm not the same as what you are. I am higher than you are. I don't think like you think. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. I don't do the things that you do. My ways are higher than your ways. He doesn't say that you're going to understand everything that he's doing. It doesn't tell us that we're going to know everything that's going on. But what he does ask us to do is have faith in him. You don't have to know my ways, God tells us. I don't expect you to know my ways because my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts but what I'm asking you is to follow me. I think it's funny that, that God is telling Isaiah this because it's a message for all God's children that have ever came before us and that are all going to come after us. 
We have to remember that it's not our job to understand everything that God is doing, to, but to do everything that God asks us to do. Amen. This week, when he was laying the framework for this message, I didn't understand where God was going. That used to really make me nervous. I'll be honest, in my earlier preaching is Sunday Felt like it was, you know, you just skipped over the next six days and all of a sudden you've got another message to prepare. And as it got closer to Sunday and I didn't have a message yet, it really, really bothered me. Gosh, and when you get to Saturday night, even possibly the next day, Sunday morning, you're like, I don't got nothing. But God tells us that we don't have to understand what he's doing, but to have faith. And what he's doing. You know, it, it's no coincidence that this message comes in a time when so many people are, are hurting mentally and hurting physically, and, and the world's been disrupted by nature and the things that we're doing. Um, I've given more fist bumps to older people than I didn't even think they knew what it was. I mean, I've got 70, 80 year old people, and I'm like, how do you even know what that is? <laughs> But it's disrupted our normalcy. But what I always keep thinking back to is God says you don't have to understand what's going on, but you have to have faith that I'm still in control. I'm still your good father. And I can take any bad situation that the devil throws at you and turn it into good. So as we get broken sometimes... We have to rely that he's there, that he's going to put us back together. Sometimes we may lie broken for a while, guys. He doesn't say how long you're going to lie broken. He just says that he can put us back together. And it's funny because if you had a vision, if God gave you a vision, and you know it was a God-given vision of what was going to happen in your future and it was bad, would you still walk the same path towards God? See, that was a question posed to me this week. God asked me, he said, if I gave you a vision, and there was some rough times, would you still follow me? So as we flip over to, to John 4, starting in verse 3, Talking about Jesus, says he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. And he must needs go through Samaria. And I want you to know, when people, when Jews traveled from Judea to Galilee, Samaria sat right in between the middle of the two. They had to go north out of Judea to travel into Galilee, but Jews would go around Samaria because they were considered a dirty, awful, mixed breed of people that they weren't to be associated with. And so most of the time they would go straight out of Judea, hit the Jordan River, and go up the Jordan River and basically bypass Samaria. Jesus didn't choose that path. He had need to go through Samaria. 
Does anybody see where I'm going with this already? He had to go through a dirty land to get to the point where he was going. So in verse 5 it says, Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sichar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. I want you to recognize what happened there. It says Jesus sat on the well, wearied from his journey. It was hot. He was tired. He was thirsty. He was hungry. The journey was not easy. It was hard. See, Jesus had set things before himself that he had purpose to go through Samaria. Otherwise, he wouldn't have went through it, right? He had purpose in the land of the wicked and the dirty. He had to go through the valley because he had purpose there. He knew the path wasn't going to be easy, but he had a purpose there. It says he sat down on the well wearied. Verse 7, it says, There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus say unto her, Give me to drink. His disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me? Which am I, a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knowest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldst have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman saith to him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep, from whence then hast thou living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob? which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle. Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water, springing up into everlasting life. Jesus said, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your way. She's going, how are you going to get water? You came to this well. You don't have a bucket to draw it with. You don't have a rope to go down after it. What do you mean? You're talking to me. Your people don't even like my people, and you're asking me to do something for you. Who are you? See, all of her questions were toward earthly affairs, right? All of her questions had to do with an earthly well of water, a water that would quench your thirst for now. Jesus' thoughts the whole time in his journey through a dirty, God-forsaken land to meet up with a woman that other people would classify as not worthy came to talk to her about a living water that is not of this world. His intents were never earthly. His intents were always heavenly. His intents were to talk to this woman about everlasting, life-giving water. 
See, I believe that Jesus was never about small talk. I believe that Jesus' purposes were never earthly purposes. The only thing that he done earthly was shed blood for us. His blood covered things that no other blood can cover. So even his coverage is not of this earth. But he died an earthly death to save sinners. And so what I'm talking about this morning is this woman's going, I don't get you, man. Nothing about you makes sense. Let's read on down through here. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water, that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Jesus saith unto her, Go call thy husband and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast said, Well, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. In that saidest thou truly. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that you art a prophet. Can you imagine sitting there, not knowing this dude, and he tells you everything about your past? Like, what? How did you know that, right? Jesus says, I know that you don't have a husband. You've had five before him, and the one you're with now isn't your husband. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that you, that thou art a prophet. Verse 20, it says, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. See, in that mountain, that's where Samaritans went, but the Jews said Jerusalem is the place that you go to worship. This is not the place you go to Jerusalem. So you have to know kind of what's happening in the culture to understand what's going on here. Verse 22, it says, you worship, you know, you know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Again, she points that this is the mountain where we go to worship. It's an earthly thing. You guys, you guys go to Jerusalem, to the temple. That's where you worship. Jesus says that God is the Spirit and must be worshipped through the Spirit. There is no place that you have to go to be in the presence of the Father. Because God is a spirit and must be seen as such that he is here, he is there, he is everywhere. So again, we see the differentiating between Jesus' way of thinking and this woman's way of thinking. Again, I'll say it, my ways are not your ways. But Jesus has good intent for this woman. He's redirecting her to everlasting life and she doesn't even know it. She's got faith in a man she's never met because of the presence and the things that he's talking about, and she doesn't even know she has faith in him yet. Right? See, when we walk, we walk not knowing. He says, walk by faith, not by sight, because you may not know what the heck you're doing. But I do. 
I know what's happening in your life right now. I know what's happening is hard. I know that you're blinded by several things, but put your faith and trust in me and I beside you and we will make it together because I can see it in your life. And I am with you. As long as you keep looking for me, you can make it through anything. Well, it might kill me. It might. But again, this is an earthly vessel, an earthly body, an earthly life. In Christ, we have life everlasting. There is no end. Death is not the worst thing for us. Amen? That's what I get excited about. It doesn't matter who comes against me, even if they take my earthly life, they can't kill my soul. They don't have that kind of power. Satan does not have that kind of power over you if you are a child of the king. So as he's talking to this woman, he differentiates his way of thinking again and his way that he does things. See, they're used to going to a place to worship. Jesus says, you don't need that anymore. It says, the woman saith unto him, I know the Messiah cometh, which called Christ, and when he is come, he will tell us all things. Verse 26, Jesus said unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. What? Mic drop. Right? Can you imagine saying, I know this guy's coming, and I know what he's going to be, and I know what he's going to do because I've listened to the prophets and what they had to say, and I've read his words, and I know that the Messiah is coming to save me. Like, yeah, I know I'm him. Think about it, though. If you were in her spot, what would you think? Somebody proclaiming to be the Messiah. Mm. After he already told her. After he already told her. I mean, right? I would still have my doubts if somebody walked up to me and said, hey, I'm the Messiah. I'm like, yeah, okay, bud. Sure you are. But that's where knowing God's word comes in because we know. We know that we know that there's not going to be another Messiah here on earth. When he comes back, the true Messiah, it is a day of judgment. We know that when Jesus comes back, we're going home. That's what we know. So anybody today comes up to you and says, I'm the next Messiah, you're going to be like, no, fact check, Messiah already came to earth, and when he comes back, you and I aren't going to be here anymore. And I hope you're going to the same place that I'm going. But if you keep on down that road, you're not. You can't just proclaim to be the Messiah. You know, that's not good. And so, verse 27, it says, And upon this came his disciples, and marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no man said, What seekest thou, or why talkest with her? The woman then left her water pot, and went her way into the city, and say unto the men, Come see a man which told me all things that I ever did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that you know not of. There again, the deferential of earthly meat and Jesus' way of thinking 
His meat is not of this earth. It says, Therefore said the disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him aught to eat? So they're still thinking, all right, he's not hungry. We wouldn't get meat. He's not hungry. We brought it back. Somebody else has brought him something to eat. Verse 34, Jesus said unto them, My meat is to do with the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. See, that's how you feel the hunger inside of you, right? We've got a world that is seeking something. They've got to put their stock in something. Everybody needs something to value, something to put stock in, something to care about. Why? Because that's the way God created us. But a lot of times we put our stock in earthly things. A lot of times we try to build up fortresses and mansions and stockholds here on this earth. And Jesus says, not even your meat is meat good enough for the kingdom of God, but the things that God will feed you will have everlasting effects. Because he says, I don't get full off of eating earthly food. I get full off of doing the will of my Father. Wow. I get full off of doing the will of my Father. Talk about that wholeness inside, that fulfillment that you get. Are you biting off and chewing on the things that God your Father has for you to do? Or are you trying to stuff it down with earthly things that they're trying to feed you? He says, I don't need to eat. I'm here to do my Father's business, and that's what I'm about right now. I'm here to do my Father's business. Again, not your ways. My ways are higher. Verse 35, say not ye that ye are four months and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already with harvest. And he that reapeth receiveth wage and gathereth fruit unto life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. Why is this important? It's more important in my life this week than it ever has been in any weeks of past of my life. Different jobs, same spirit, same God, same baptism. That the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. Because we've all got different callings, right? We've all got different abilities. But God says if you use them according to my kingdom, we should unite because we're uniting in spirit and one single objective. See, we get caught up in all these earthly objectives that, that this congregation has to have the most members and, and we need to be the most popular on Facebook and how many likes did I get and how many views is there? If you don't have unity, if you don't associate the reaper with the sower, you don't have the same objective. I sow, my job's more important. I reap, my job's way more important. I can tell you this, if you are reaping, somebody else has probably done the sowing. And you should pray thanks for that person that invested their time in somebody's life. You ever been like, sometimes it takes multiple people or, or things to really, God shows me what he's saying. You know, I've had people say, well, you're the third person that's mentioned God to me today. Amen. If it wasn't for the previous two before me, it wouldn't have the same effect. 
right? But the fact that they've heard it over and over and over again means that God's trying to do something. He's using multiple people to do it. Get a heads up. But if I happen to walk that person to salvation through faith in Christ, it's not me alone. It's glory to God because God put the other two people there before I ever even showed up. That's what we have to remember. I'm not the special one, right? God is because God orchestrated it, God organized it, and God set it up the way it was supposed to be set up so that this person would come to him. It was God's plan, not yours. It was God's ways, not yours. Why? Because we were probably walking into a gas station thinking about something that we needed, something to fulfill my life, you know what I'm saying? Our, our, our thoughts probably weren't that, hey, that person walking out of that door, that's salvation right there, I'm going to go get it. That's not normally what I think when I'm at Jmart putting fuel in the truck, right? But God puts things on our hearts, and he says his work is the meat everlasting, Although different jobs, same goal. Verse 37, and it says, And herein is the saying true, one soweth and another reapeth. I sent you to reap that whereon you bestowed no labor. Other men labored, and you are entered into their labors. Right? What I just said. If you're a reaper, it's not because you didn't put effort forth, but you can better bet you that there was a groundwork of foundation that was done before you ever even got there. Right? And the one that was doing the sowing doesn't get to see the reaping oftentimes. Why? Because we want to take glory for it. We want to make it our own. I led this person to Christ. No. The drawing of the Spirit. Right? Three other people that talked to him that day. Four other people. If it was reliant solely on my abilities, I'm going to mess it up. I can guarantee you. I'll never forget about the, the little girl that accepted Christ after I made her cry. I mean, I messed it up bad. And God took what I did, and we went to the side of the building, and she accepted Christ out of it. Amen? I'm glad God is there to pick up my broken pieces. Because I butchered it so bad that I made a little 10-year-old girl cry. But God took it and done a salvation out of it. He gained another member of the family that day. I, I gained a sister in Christ that day because God took my mess and he turned it into something good. That's what he does. That's what God does. That's why I'm telling you today that his ways are higher than your ways. His thoughts are not your thoughts. I didn't understand this until the events that happened this week unfolded, right? God gave me this word before these events ever unfolded this week. I can assure you that the events did not produce this, that God gave me insight that I didn't even know I was getting. Because usually I'm dense enough that after I walk through trouble, I'm standing on the other side and then I get the light bulb like, oh, oh yeah, that makes sense now, right? And I'm assured that he doesn't give me the light bulb beforehand because I would probably mess it up trying to do it my way. But that's what I'm asking you today. If God told you that there were rough waters ahead, would you alter your course instead of following him and trusting him through the rough waters? If you could see it coming, 
Would you still follow God through it? It's a question of faith today. It's a hard question, guys. It is. But God says there's rough waters ahead. He tells us in his word, things are going to be tough. This life isn't going to be easy. Verse 10, back in Isaiah. I'm going to finish up in Isaiah. It says in 55 verse 10, For as the rain come down and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. The things that come from the kingdom of God, the things that come from God produce life, gives tools to the sower, gives tools to the reaper, and produces much fruit. From God the Father, right? He says the snow and the rains that come down that I give you produces the bud, right? We can do sowing, we can do reaping, but God gives the increase. That's not our responsibility. His rains are good enough. His snows are good enough. We don't have to understand why we're in a drought right now. All we got to know is that God's going to take care of us because he sees the bigger picture and he knows what we need and he supplies to our every need. Now, you may want more, but that's a whole different story. You may want more, but he supplies our every need. In verse 11, it says, So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth, it shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. That is a promise from God. It says, My word does not return to me void. And whatever it is that I'm trying to accomplish will be accomplished. Because he is God. And what he needs to get done will get done. Verse 12. For you shall go out with joy. I want you to think about this for a second. What if the church, let's just get figurative for a second because we as people, you know how we are. We're just, we're people, right? We, can't, we got baggage. If for one, some reason, because of the commonality of our goal, which is to please the Father, actually set our hearts on it one day to come together to please the Father, bidding nothing of ourselves, but leaving all of us outside the door, came in to please the Father, Right? What a day of rejoicing. I believe that'll be when Christ comes back, but that's my own personal opinion because I don't think we'll ever get there on our own. But imagine that. If we came for an hour and there was nothing of us in here, but everything was of the Spirit of God and we were of one accord, when we let out of this place, right? Close your eyes for a second. When we let out of this place, in verse 12, it says, For you shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace, and the mountains and hills shall break forth before you into singing, and that the trees of the fields shall clap their hands. If the Spirit of God is set free in every single person inside this church today, the world will break out into joy. The world will break out into singing and clapping and dancing in the glory of God. 
What a vision, right? Everything that God created will unify on that day and become one. Solidarity, singing and praising the, the hills, the valleys, the mountains, the trees, everything that God created, praising God in its own way. What a vision. What a vision that God gives us. We shall go out with joy. And we shall be led by the peace. The mountains and hills shall break forth before you into singing. And the trees and the fields shall clap with their hands. That is the effectual difference of the church on the rest of the world. If we do what we're supposed to do. That is the difference that we can have, church, on our families, on our brothers and sisters in Christ, on our community. Guys, there's a lot of darkness and hurt happening right now in our community, in our families, in our churches. There is hurt. And it's not a surface level hurt. It's not a hurt that's going to be healed up by a It'll be all right. Just keep going. If you're truly hurting, that doesn't help at all. There's a lot of hurt that's happening right now. But God tells us, if we can push all of that out, if all of that goes away and we can join together in unity, that we can change the world. Think about it for a second. We can change the world by our acts, by giving up ourselves. he says, picking up the cross daily. It's a daily choice. For some of us, me included, it's a minute-by-minute minute choice that I am going to choose to live my life for the kingdom of God because I have purpose. My Father loves me. He created me for this moment. It is my time to reflect His glory. It's time to move forward. It's time to prosper because even if it's hard times, He's right there with me and He's given me the tools to press on and keep going and keep growing. That's it. That's it. We have to keep pressing, keep going, and keep growing. You've got to grow. So many times in life we get stagnant in what we're doing and we forget about the growth process. But in times when we're broken, it's a chance for rebuilding. Right? In times of getting in trouble is a time for learning. He says, worry about it if I don't chasten you. Right? I'll never forget the first time I got my name wrote on the chalkboard at school. And Michaela and Peyton probably don't even know what a chalkboard is because all the things dry erase now. I was in Miss Filer's class in the old grade school and Chance Snell was in front of me getting a drink out of the fountain and I need him in the rear end and he busted his lip on the spout that came up. I'll never forget it. But along with that came a learning process. Yes, I got in trouble and it hurt my feelings, but guess what? If nobody ever corrected me from that day, what would my thought process be? If I never got corrected and pushed back in line, what would my thought process be? 
If God never said, hey, I'm over here, turn back to me, pay attention to me, look what I'm doing, where would my mind wander to, right? But you have to give heed to those thoughts. I believe that Christians have suffocated the Spirit for far too long, and now God's saying, look at me. What you guys have been doing in the United States of America, look where it's led you. Look at me, and look where I can take you. Man, that's where I get excited, right? It says the, the, the harvest isn't four months from now. The harvest is now. You're looking that the harvest is way out there, but he says the fields are ready. I listened to a pastor preach this morning, and he says the world is living as if the rapture and Jesus' second coming was years away. He said it can happen any second. Why are we living a life like it's never going to happen? Why are we living as to it's not going to happen in my lifetime? Or maybe it's going to happen, but it's going to happen at the end of my lifetime. There's no way it can be tomorrow. Right? That's the way we live sometimes. You ever get caught up in doing something bad and be like, mm, man, what if Jesus came back right now? My uncle gave me that lecture when I was working for him out in Colorado. I had bought a pretty vulgar shirt when I was younger. Me and my cousin went to the mall in Denver and, and bought some not great shirts. My uncle was less than pleased and he said, what are you going to do if Jesus came back right now? You're going to tell him to wait a second so you can go change your shirt? But it's a good thought. What are you doing with your life? When Jesus comes back, you'd be like, ah, oh, man, I wish you hadn't caught me at this moment because yesterday I was good. You know, tomorrow I had planned on doing better, but you came back right now, and now's just not really a good time for me. That's where choosing daily, hourly, minutely, secondly, with every decision that you get to make, make it for the kingdom of God. That's the difference. Jesus went through Samaria because he had purpose there. His thoughts were not earthly thoughts. He wasn't thinking about the disgust and the filth of the people that lived there or, or how hard the trip was going to be and, and that he would be thirsty and that he would be hungry. There was a salvation waiting for Jesus in Samaria. His thoughts were heavenly. Earthly didn't have an effect on him. He says, I don't care who usually does and doesn't go through that land. I don't care who usually does and doesn't talk to you. I'm here offering you living water, the forever flowing spring water of life that I can give you and only I can give you. Now is your opportunity. You think about that. Every decision that you have to make in your life, now is your opportunity to glorify the kingdom of God. You know, it goes back to the age of the question, what would Jesus do? I often find myself reverting that. It says, is this glorifying the Father that I love and the Father that created me? Is this a reflection of His light or is this fully my inability to comprehend with what He has for me? Those are the decisions we make on the daily, the hourly. We all the time making decisions and some are for the kingdom of God and some are not. But in the growth process, we 
hope to become more and more and more and more decisions that we make are for the glory of the Father. Because we have to become less if He's to become more in our life. In verse 13, one last glimpse of the effect that you can have on a cursed world. You remember in the Garden of Eden, God said this ground will be cursed. You'll have to work it by the sweat of your brow and the thorns will grow up, right? The ground is cursed. In verse 13, Isaiah 55, it says, Instead of the thorn shall come up the fir tree, and instead of the briar shall come up, fir, come up the myrtle tree, and it shall be to the Lord for a name for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Those fruits that we are to produce because we are plugged into the vine. It says you can't produce fruit if you're not plugged into the vine. Jesus is the vine. Without the vine, you can't produce. No branch can produce any kind of fruit if it's not plugged into the vine. But just think about that. Your actions... Your decisions to live a life for God all the time says that you can replace those thorns with trees. You can replace those briars with trees. Is it awesome that we have the ability to do a work for God on the daily? It's awesome. It's awesome that we can show people what the love of God is all about in an ever-for-dying, cursed world that we live in. To just be that little glimmer of light. It don't take a lot sometimes. A smile versus a scowl. A wave instead of running so fast you don't even see them. Holding a door when you're in a hurry because you've got to get somewhere. Guys, it don't take a lot for a light to shine pretty bright anymore. Because we're in a forever darkening world. A little bit of light goes a long ways. It does. If you would please stand with me this morning. I'm going to close. With Romans 8 verse 18. It says... For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Guys, us as a country, us as a people, us as Christians, we're going through some stuff. Us as a church, we're going through some stuff. This is the worries and troubles to whatever you're going through right now are nothing in comparison for what I have for you. You can't even imagine the glory, the hope, and the love that God has for us awaiting for a people that love and follow him. So today as we open up the altars, that's what I'm asking you. Are you willing to go through the troubled waters to reach the glory of God? If you know it's coming, will you still choose a life for God?
If you're down on your knees because you're broken right now and, and you're in a pit of despair, will you still choose the glory of God because you know what you're going through is nothing in comparison to what he has for you on the other side? Man, the glory to come is far greater, guys. We're going to open up the altars today. If there's weight bearing on you, if you're going through some hard times and you just can't see a way out, there is a light. And God is that light. Help bring light to somebody today. He says we can change and alter the landscape of this world as we come forth as Christians and lovers of God and we choose God. It says the mountains and the trees and everything that's before you will change time for us to start changing the world to choose God in all the things that we have to do in our highest moments in our lowest lows we choose to see the light of God in everything that we are and can be because God has purposed us for this moment he's purposed us for this time and it's time to stop holding back the spirit and letting God do his everlasting work on people he wants to have a relationship Amen. The altars are open today. Come change. Come be changed. Come make a change.
anybody else today. Guys, when it comes to effectual prayer, I'll stay here all day. When it becomes a fact of people choosing the kingdom of God, I believe that we have a family standing here today that will be here all day with you. Never be held back because of what you think people will think. The glory is not in people around you, but in the kingdom of God that sets before you. Always remember that. Thank you guys today um, for your prayers. Thank you for being support. In a time of need, we are a family of Christ. When we hurt, we hurt together, right? But on the day of rejoicing, guess what? We get to rejoice together. Brother Dylan, you want to dismiss us in a word of prayer?